1: It's 11 a.m. in the newsroom of the Bournemouth Daily Echo, a local newspaper in the south of England.
2: The one I like is the uh, the Bournemouth Post Office mm-hmm. face in Clinch, mm-hmm. yeah, which, is, which is a very strong story.
0: So, you can hold my love, well, Rose, right, can't you? You can hold my love, yeah. You, For a a bit. You can no one else knows right. about it. That's right. It's pretty much much exclusive, exclusive, about that. right.
3: The editors are trying to decide which stories to run in the newspaper and on the Echo's
1: website, which these days might be more important. Technology is changing all of our jobs, whether we like it or not. And journalism
3: is certainly no exception. There are now far fewer jobs in local news.
1: Right, to put it mildly, the internet has pretty much busted the media business model.
3: Yeah, and journalists
1: that are left have had to learn new skills.
4: When you're in a newsroom, you
1: have to you adapt, or you don't survive. Do you? The Echo has worked hard to take advantage of new technology, but as the editor Andy Martin told you, Jeremy, the paper is struggling financially.
4: You know, we know that you know, revenues walked out the door to a lot of other places in the last ten years, and we haven't quite got our business model right in terms yeah. of,
3: uh, you know, getting people to pay for our online news. Yeah, that's right. Faced with collapsing budgets, the Echo has had to let go about 75% of its staff. That's made it harder for the paper to fulfill its traditional
1: role of holding people in power to account. Now the founders of a service funded by Google say they can help local journalists produce more stories without adding more people. But it's raising new fears even as it tries to solve old problems. Hi, I'm Brad Stone. And I'm Jeremy Kahn. And this week on Decrypted, we're taking a look at how one local newspaper is grappling with new technology and its struggle to survive.
3: There are only about 20 editorial staff left now at the Bournemouth Daily Echo, a paper that once had close to 100 journalists when Andy, the editor, first started. That's been a painful transition for the Echo, and one that's played out around the world as journalists have watched jobs disappear.
1: Artificial intelligence is one technology that could help newsrooms like the Echo survive with shrinking budgets. But could automation, which initially looks like an added convenience, ultimately end up taking even more jobs? Stay with us. Hey,
5: the next stop for the service will be
4: at
1: So, Jeremy, you actually went down to Bournemouth recently.
3: Yeah, I I took the train down from London on a chilly
1: morning in February. So I'm imagining sort of the Cleveland of uh, England. What's Bournemouth like? (laughs) Well,
3: it's not quite Cleveland. Um, It's on the south coast of England, and it's a summer tourist destination. It has a boardwalk and a fairground along the seafront. Um, But the city also hosts the back offices of some big banks like J.P. Morgan, and it's got the headquarters of a few
1: industrial companies. And the Bournemouth Echo, that's uh, the region's main newspaper?
3: Yeah, that's right, and it's published from this big Arc Deco building with a small clock tower in the heart of the city. Hey, Jenny, all right? Andy, good. Hey, Jeremy Thomas from Willard. Nice to meet you. Hey, nice. Yeah, yeah. Andy, the Echo's editor, came out to meet me. He looks like a grizzled newspaper editor you'd see in a film, with the steely gaze and a shock of white hair. He led me through the bowels of the building and up into a big conference room with glass windows that look out over the Echo's newsroom. Uh, how
4: many years have you you've been here at the Echo? Uh, well, it's embarrassing. I've been here about, uh, well, 30 years in April. Wow. Um, what was your first day here like? Do you remember? I can vividly remember yeah. the, the old-style smoke-filled newsroom with people, you know, slamming phones down and the sound of timewriters. At the time, in the late 1980s, the newsroom was big. 30 years ago, there would have been 100 editorial staff here. We used to have the printing presses. You'd hear the rumble of the presses mm. going up yeah. for the first edition, the second edition, go down and get
3: a copy of the paper, get your bacon sandwich, come back out right. and read paper. This was a different time for the newspaper industry. The Bournemouth Daily Echo had a small number of district offices, and it would send reporters like Andy on international assignments too. For cool, about 20 years. Got it. So Cyprus,
4: Kosovo, uh, the Balkans, uh, Bosnia, uh, Belize, Northern Ireland. So I did quite a lot of tours of, you know, yeah, well, yeah. not tours of duty, but out with out with the boys, you know, right. sort of a week, two week long.
3: After a few years, he became an editor on the news desk, and as Andy was climbing the masthead at the Echo, something happened in the mid 1990s that would change print journalism forever: the internet.
1: Back in the glory days, local papers had four main revenue streams: newsstand sales, subscriptions, display advertising, and classifieds. The internet undercut all four.
3: For example, NewsQuest Media, which owns the Bournemouth Daily Echo, made a profit of £167 million in 2003. By 2016, that number was just £23 million. Ouch. So one-seventh of what it once was. That's right. And as profits slumped, the Echo has had to shed staff. So you're talking reporters, you're talking photographers. Some of those cuts happened through attrition. People who left or retired simply weren't replaced. But there have also been deep rounds of layoffs.
4: So three photographers, probably five or six reporters, a couple of support staff. Um, so yeah, um, that, that's been, it's been the toughest part of the job yeah,
5: um, in the last few years. Yeah, I've been here for a very long time. I started in 94, so I've been here 23 years.
3: Corin Messer joined the Echo as a darkroom assistant. At that time, the paper had six staff photographers. Now, Corrin's the only one left.
5: The last two senior staff photographers left in September 2015. Richard Crease was one of those. He, he was here the day that I started. He, you know, I gave the speech at his leaving. Day. It was, that, that was very, very upsetting.
3: Often, Andy has been forced to let go of staff he's been working alongside for 10, 15 years. And his own role has had to expand to fill some of the gaps.
4: Well, uh, I'm the editor, I'm also the head of news, but I'm also, well, today I'm essentially the content manager, so I'm doing all the pages today. So it's um, there's sort of about four or five jobs rolled up in one, to be honest, <laughs> these days, in a, in a regional newsroom.
3: Despite that, Andy has tried hard not to cut essential areas of coverage. Our role, first and foremost, first and foremost
4: is the whole people to people's account, whether it's hospitals, the police, the fire service, local authorities...
3: Any public institution, that's what we're here for. But he admits there are some things he can't do anymore.
4: You know, we, we can't now say to someone, OK, go off and research that and investigate that story for two or three days, be off diary.
3: And at the Echo, as at so many newspapers, the threat of more layoffs still looms in the background. You know, what, what, what's the next thing that's going to be thrown at me? Will I have to make more savings? So
4: really, I think it's kind of just made, I think that keeps me awake at night is really keeping all the, all the plates spinning yeah. and, and the finances, I think, really.
1: Now, a few months ago, one of Andy's bosses told him about a new type of technology that could perhaps help. It's an intelligent software that could provide Andy the kind of local
3: news stories that he desperately needs.
1: But that in recent years, he hasn't really had the staff to report and write.
3: At first, Andy was wary. Until now, technology has been more of a job killer for the news industry than anything else.
4: Well, I mean, you know, I'm I'm obviously naturally uh, sceptical about everything, even in our own industry.
3: But Andy was also
4: curious. I'm always open to looking at new ideas of, you know, new ways of, of, of getting information.
3: The Echo has had no choice but to embrace digital technology and social media in recent years. And now it's become one of the first British newspapers to participate in something called Project Radar. That's how I ended up at another news organization, this time in London. The Press Association was built to provide national news coverage for the UK's local papers. Here in Britain, people call it the PA. I went to see Peter Clifton, the PA's editor-in-chief. The PA is facing its own battle to adapt to changing times. Now that most people get their news online, local papers need less national coverage.
2: I think they've all become increasingly focused on trying to serve their local audience with more and more local content
3: then through an old acquaintance peter heard about a london startup called herbs media that was founded by two news industry veterans alan renwick and gary rogers here's gary
2: i started my career in local newspapers i did that for three years of my life and then took a
3: a turn into television between them they've got more than 55 years of experience
2: The consumption of news has changed dramatically and radically. But if you looked at the business of how news is produced, actually very little has changed. It still requires a journalist to go and find a story and go and meet people. And it requires phone time and shoe leather. And good journalism requires that.
3: In 2015, Alan and Gary had a brainwave. But we were looking
2: at whether there was another way to produce good journalism that would be uh, a little
3: less labor-intensive. They decided to focus on large government data sets that had figures on things like bike theft and childhood obesity.
2: And so we were quite interested in sets of crime data at the time.
3: They thought they could take a single data set and get dozens or even hundreds of local stories from it.
2: I can't remember whether it was me or Alan came up with this smart idea of why didn't we do a snapshot crime profile of every borough.
3: A borough is a city district. London has 33 of them.
5: Yes. So we started with the humans, uh, otherwise known as me and Gary. <laughs>
3: <laughs> but the amount of data they had to crawl through soon became a problem.
2: And I wrote about 10, and I started to lose the will to live.
3: Each story was basically the same, but every neighbourhood had different numbers. It became extremely repetitive and very boring.
2: We both began to think... There must be an easier way to do this. (laughs) And we came across something called natural language generation as a way to try to uh, turn data into text.
3: Natural language generation is a kind of artificial intelligence that can write whole reports based on data. The way Gary and Alan have designed their program, a human journalist still needs to write the basic template for a particular data set. Then the software fills in numbers and tweaks the language so that each story can make sense.
1: I don't know, Jeremy, can the software really convey the, the nuance and the perspective of, of an actual human journalist?
3: Well, these stories that we'll see later are kind of dry. I mean, they're, they're, pretty, they're written pretty straight.
1: That sounds like it can't potentially solve a problem for newspapers.
3: Yeah, the idea here, was, and what Peter thought, is that this new way of writing stories might help his newsroom create more local stories. Um, and he decided he was going to team up with Herb's, And together, they created this thing called Project Radar. Okay, why Project Radar? Well, it turns out it's an acronym, uh, not a very great one. It stands for Reporters and Data and Robots. The project received a €700,000 grant from Google's European Digital News Initiative to help it get off the ground. Interestingly, Peter's own team got nervous about this robot taking their jobs.
2: I um, probably unwisely made a uh, a speech at the Society of Editors conference last year where I'd, I this, this was only really a glimmer at that point, but all I said at that um, conference was that we would be looking at uh, uh, automation. One of the industry websites immediately had a headline about robots taking over at PA. Uh, And by the time I got back to work, they'd they'd built a robot out of cardboard, cardboard boxes and put it in my seat.
3: Peter and the guy at Herbs insisted that nobody's job is going to be lost because of Project Radar.
2: Just like your word processor can it just sit on your desk as a tool you use to write.
1: What Gary is saying is probably true today. I wonder, though, Jeremy, if it will be true tomorrow as the technology inevitably evolves. Yeah,
3: that is something to consider. This type of technology has a tendency to get more capable over time, and what it can do keeps improving.
1: Okay, well, after the break, the Bournemouth Daily Echo starts receiving stories from Project Radar. And it raises an old fear for Andy as he starts trying to use the automated stories.
0: The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.
3: Back in Bournemouth, I walked through the video arcade on the Bournemouth Pier, Jeremy, why were you in a video arcade? Well, that's a good question. These arcades tend to be a fixture of British seaside towns, and I was actually on my way to visit another beloved British institution, the local fish and chip shop.
0: Uh, my name's Chloe, and I'm the assistant manager here at Harry Ramson's.
3: And it says on the sign it's a world-famous fish and chip shop. What is, it, what is it famous for?
0: It's famous for our secret recipe that we have here in store.
3: But you can't tell me what it is,
5: I suppose.
0: Unfortunately, no, I can't. <laughs>
3: Chloe said she's a loyal reader of the Bournemouth Echo, and she especially likes the traffic updates on its website.
0: Especially with the amount of roadworks that we have in Bournemouth at the moment, the online ones are always up to date, so you know where they are, what times they're happening and stuff like that.
3: So, is that a big issue here, roadworks and congestion and that sort of thing?
0: At the moment, yes, because there's quite a lot, so especially in my
3: reach. Come... Recently, the Bournemouth Echo ran a story telling readers just how much of their lives were wasted in traffic jams in an average year.
4: So, the congestion one, which showed us just how long a motorist would spend in a traffic jam uh, in an average week or an average year, uh, in the context of the, 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 the restructure of the local area, is one that was particularly interesting.
3: That story Andy's talking about, it came from Project Radar.
4: I think it's been a help um, in terms of, you know, statistics that we wouldn't ordinarily um, be able to access or have have the time to access, I guess.
3: But he says some of Project Radar's computer-generated stories still require a bit more work. I wouldn't necessarily
4: say, yes, I think that's been written by a computer. I would just say it's been written really straight.
3: So he might ask one of his staff to get reaction quotes from a local official or from residents or to punch up the writing to make it more lively.
1: Jeremy, do you have an example of what one of these Project Radar stories actually sounds like?
3: Yeah, sure. Um, here's one about juvenile crime that Project Radar produced and the Bournemouth Echo actually ran. Young people in pool are significantly less likely to be cautioned or convicted for a first offense than they were 10 years ago. Changes in police policy and overall fallen crime has seen an 84% drop in the number of youngsters entering the criminal justice system, according to statistics from the Ministry of Justice. In the 2006-07 financial year, 252 children between the ages of 10 and 17 were convicted or cautioned by police for the first time. But by 2016-17, there were just 41.
1: We almost should have had you read that in in your Alexa voice. But, uh, you know, it's it's interesting, but certainly uh, not brimming with uh, writerly sensibilities. But it's interesting because this is probably not the kind of thing that uh, Andy or his reporters could have done on their own. Okay, so Andy is using these stories of the Bournemouth Echo and finding them useful.
3: Yeah, he is. But out of 125 stories that they publish every week, only about two come from Project Radar. Oh, wow. Okay, so that's not much at all. No, and Andy told me he's worried about using the service too much. Were we to be looking at doing
4: them, more, it, would, it, would, it, would, it would free up people. So there's a
3: danger if you use too many of them then you'd worry that your bosses or somebody would say... You may not need that many
4: staff. I think every editor would probably yeah, be a little
3: bit so yeah, yeah. A little
4: bit worried about, about that.
1: So even though the PA and herbs insist the Project Radar is about helping us do our jobs better, Andy is still worried that in his newsroom, this technology could take away even more jobs.
3: Yeah, I think that's always a concern with AI, because it gets better and better all the time, as we said earlier.
1: Uh, how good is it at writing podcast scripts?
3: <laughs> Lucky for us, it's not that good yet. But the fact is, this is a very
1: new and interesting area of technology, and it's maturing fast. But the specter of even more job cuts hasn't deterred the news industry from experimenting with computer-generated articles. Lots of organizations are trying versions of this now, like the Associated Press here in the U.S., which is working with a company called Automated Insights on writing simple financial stories. That's
3: right. And The Washington Post has a software called Heliograph to write stories on everything from high school football games to U.S. congressional elections.
1: And we should also say that even here at Bloomberg, our own team of coders has created software that can take corporate earnings reports or stock price movements and automatically generate news stories from them. Yeah, it's pretty crazy what this
3: technology can do. But I'm pretty happy we don't have to write some of those earnings stories anymore.
1: Yeah, me too. And actually on that point, I mean, I hope I'm not expressing the the hubris of a human here but i do wonder if the ai can kind of replace the you know the creativity and the storytelling of an actual journalist
3: yeah i mean i think there's a lot that these these types of programs are never going to be able to do they're not really going to be able to do investigative
1: reporting and narrative storytelling right articles with a beginning a middle and an end and that uh, you know convey some nuance about a character yeah i think that would be Very
3: difficult. It's certainly the way some of these programs are set up, but they are getting more sophisticated all the time. And I know that there are some researchers uh, working on on this type of technology in academia who think you could create a narrative structure, at least teach these programs to create a narrative structure.
1: Now you're hitting a little too close to home. Uh, But let me ask you, Jeremy I mean, is there a reason to worry that if the AI is doing the kind of grunt work stories that some Perhaps young reporters aren't getting the kind of training, uh, you know, being able to cut their teeth on these kinds of stories because the AI is taking over.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think it's a bit of a double edged sword. On the one hand, it means that those those entry level reporters don't have to do a lot of that grunt work and maybe they don't get as bored with the job or and, and maybe they get to move on to higher uh, value-added skills earlier, but, but they also might not learn the basics. And I think that's an issue in a lot of professions as AI kind of takes over as, you know, all of that stuff that's being automated was how people learned the basics of their job. And there were a lot of, of important skills that they might have learned that they're now going to have to learn some other way.
1: Right. But the big issue here is, of course, fixing the business model. Does, the, does Project Raider do that? I mean, Do you get the sense that this technology can solve some of the problems at a newspaper like the Bournemouth Echo?
3: Well, I think it's helping the Echo just at the margins, really. I mean, it's helping it fill in a few stories a week, but it's not solving the underlying business problem. And I don't think any of these automated solutions really are. I mean, they help newspapers produce a little bit more with fewer people. Um, they take away some of the grunt work, which maybe frees up people to do some some higher stuff. But, but it's not fixing the fundamental problem, which is if you don't have uh, advertisers willing to pay that much money to, to run ads against something online, you're just not going to be able to pay for what you produce.
1: Yeah, and articles uh, like the one that you read about juvenile crime, it's probably not solving the other basic issue, which is kind of preserving that relationship, that very powerful relationship between the local newspaper and the reader.
3: Yeah, no, not at all. These programs aren't going to know about the local community. They're not going to have that sense of place.
1: At the Bournemouth Echo, the staff who remain have tried their best to adapt to changing times.
3: Yeah, take Corin, the last photographer on staff. He told us he's moved from taking still images to mostly
5: shooting video. I find video to be quite stimulating. It's, it's it's more of a challenge. So you know, learning learning video was something that really really interested me.
3: In fact, Corin's video skills were in such demand that Gannett, that's the company that owns Newsquest Media tapped him to shoot video for USA Today and the rest of the Gannett Papers at the 2016 World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland.
5: You know, if you were going to stay static and say, I'm not learning this, I'm not changing this, is not something I'm going to do, that you are, you know, you're probably playing a lifespan in your career.
3: Corin has helped train the rest of the Echo's reporting staff in photography skills. And he oversees this thing called the Echo's Camera Club. That's a group of readers and amateur photographers who contribute images to the paper. While he's had to adapt, Corin still enjoys his
5: job. My heart is with the Bournemouth Dirty Echo. If there's, if there's a massive news story going on in town, I'm going to get sent to it. If, yeah. there's, if there's an interesting you know, photographic assignment to go to, I'm going to get to go yeah. to
3: it. In many ways, Andy says that Corin story is really the story of the Echo in Microcosm. I,
4: I can't think of any other business that where, in such a short space of time, people have had to learn a whole range of new skills. And, and they do it day in, day out. It's, yeah. you know, they're, they're
3: phenomenal the paper has managed to build a decent online readership. The Echo's content and audience manager, Katie Clark, walked me through a few of the numbers.
0: So monthly we're looking at like 1.2 to 1.3 million uniques. Um, And page views are somewhere anywhere monthly between like 10 million and like 13 million, depending on how much breaking news we've had.
3: The Echo's sports coverage has also helped it to attract online readers. Bournemouth has a Premier League soccer team.
2: Now Lewis Cook. Cook. Oh, that might be a brilliant ball. It is. It's Callum Wilson. It's laid off for Jordan Ive scores his first Bournemouth goal. It's all over. It's a historic win for Bournemouth.
3: They're nicknamed the Cherries. And fans around the world go to the Echo's website to follow the team. But as we said, the problem is that advertisers pay a lot less per click than they do with print ads. And many sites have become dangerously dependent on third parties, especially Facebook, to drive readers to their sites.
0: We are looking at kind of how we're talking to people and engaging with people on Facebook. Um, We're putting a lot more emphasis on Twitter in the last kind of month or so.
3: Facebook recently tweaked its algorithm to prioritize posts from friends and family in users' news feeds. That's making it harder for publishers to use social media to promote their stories. So you've you've gotten used to seeing a a slight decline over the last year because of the Facebook changes. And trying
0: not to panic about it, to be honest, because (laughs) um, if you panicked every time Facebook changed their algorithm, then you'd, you'd be screwed.
3: And finally, print circulation continues its long decline. Meanwhile, in Bournemouth, Andy says he has no choice but to stay optimistic about the future of journalism and the future of The Echo.
4: From my point of view, I love the paper. I love what we do. I love sticking it to people and holding people to account and, you know, getting things done. Um, so I think by and large, you have to, be, in this business, you have to be an optimist.
1: And that's it for this week's episode of Decrypted. Thanks for listening.
3: We always want to know what you think of the show. You can write to us at decrypted at bloomberg.net. I'm on Twitter at Jeremy a. Khan.
1: And I'm on Twitter at, at Bradstone. Please consider leaving us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite podcast apps. It really helps us find new listeners. This episode was produced by Pia Gatkari, Magnus Henriksen, Liz Smith,
3: and Christy Westgard. Francesca Levy is head of Bloomberg Podcasts. We'll see you next week.